This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, as they take off, uh, there are just certain things in life you should not resist. Can I just say that right up front? There's some things in life you should never, ever resist. And uh, I want to talk about some of those this morning. But let me start off talking about this one, because I know some of you have gone most of your life and you've resisted the joys and the glory of coffee, haven't you? Yes. Adam. Uh, and I get it. Okay. Oh, here are all the arguments. Arguments are, oh, it just tastes so bad. And people will say, well, you have to acquire the taste. And then they'll say, well, if you got to acquire the taste, doesn't that tell you that it probably tastes pretty bad to begin with? I hear all of that. But those who have acquired the taste and who have gone over just, can I get an amen about how wonderful it is? Okay. So don't, don't, don't resist coffee. God, God's glorified in all of that. Um, on a more serious note, you probably shouldn't resist advice from your doctor. You really shouldn't eat all that junk. It's not good for your heart. Probably not a good thing to say, eh, thanks anyway. (laughs) Shouldn't resist that. And I want to say this morning, never, ever, ever resist God. No one loves you like your God loves you. No one is wiser than our God is. (laughs) And we should never, ever resist our God. Now, I believe that is Stephen's point in Acts chapter 7. Take your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 7 if you haven't turned there yet. We are marching through Acts. Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Adam stood up and preached on the deacons, the first deacons in the church, the servants, and how they were chosen to free the uh, elders up for the uh, prayer and study of the word. And then uh, last week, uh, Pastor Drew did a phenomenal job of unpacking the the, uh, attack against Stephen, one of these deacons, and what was going on there. And we shouldn't be surprised about the things that happen to us. And again, we're just blessed with other guys who just uh, are so good at taking the pulpit and helping me out and all of that. Praise God for that. But now we get to chapter 7, and Stephen is before the high priest. And and what happens here is that he is answering some accusations. So let's look at verse number 1. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, so he begins to preach. And he's answering this question, are these things so? Well, what things is Stephen talking about? Well, there are two kind of accusations that were made against him. And if you go back to Acts chapter 6, verse 13, you'll see these two things. 13 and 14 kind of repeat these two things. So here's Acts 6, 13. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man, Stephen, never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. So Stephen's against the temple. And Stephen's against the law. Here's verse 14. For they heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So he's against the temple and he's against Moses. He's against the, all of that thing. And the priest asked, is that true? And so then Stephen preaches and he preaches and he goes back through the Old Testament. He goes to story after story after story. And this is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Still not as long as Pastor Drew preaches, but as long as in this book of Acts. 
uh, one of us has the title. I forget who has the longest title. That was, yeah, I thought it was you. All right, so uh, all that to be said, he does that, but he's making a point. He's making a point, and he lands the plane. He makes the point in verse number 51. So I want you to see verse number 51 where it says this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Here it is. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. But his point was is that I'm not against Moses. I'm not against the temple. You are, and you know it, and yet you resist. You resist. I don't ever want to resist God. I don't want you to resist God. So let's make our big idea Stephen's big idea, and let's say this. Let's stop resisting God. Let's stop resisting God. So I'm going to take two weeks to get through all of this, 53 verses, and... um, Then, after those two weeks, Kevin Trotter is going to come, and he's going to land the plane in Acts chapter 7. Super excited about Kevin preaching to us. And Kevin's super excited, aren't you, Kevin? All right, there you go. So I'm going to, but here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to help Stephen out a little bit, and I'm going to alliterate his sermon for him. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be the sermon over the next two weeks. We're going to talk today about the reasons for resistance. Next week, we'll come back and talk about the root of resistance, the result of resistance, and the response to resistance. But today, I want to camp out on the reasons for resistance. Because again, what Stephen does now, go back to chapter 7, verse number 2. He begins to walk through several Old Testament stories. He's making one, uh, well, with two points. One is that God's people always resist. And the other point he's trying to make is, but God is always gracious. And those two things come to the surface quite a bit. But as we study these, let's ask the question, why were they resistant? Why did they resist God? Maybe learn from that so that we don't follow in those same steps. So I believe here's the first reason people resist God. The first reason is family attachments, family attachments. Let me show you where it is here in now verse number two. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Now watch, he says, before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. So here's this story, and God says to Abraham, go! And how long was he supposed to go? He was supposed to go until God said, that's it. Now you can stop. But but how far did he get? (laughs) He got to Haran. And the text says he lived there. This is man's resistance. This is man's resistance to God. Here God says, go. And Abraham says, yeah, kind (laughs) of. I'll go most of the way or some of the way. Because that word live is interesting in the original language. The word live means this, to live or dwell in an established or settled manner. He put his roots down in Haran and resisted God. That was Stephen's point. That's why Stephen said in verse number three, before he lived in Haran, the whole point is he camped out in Haran. Why did he do that? Well, it's kind of evident here when you read the rest of verse four where it says, after his father died, then God removed him. Family attachments kept Abraham from obedience. Isn't it a good thing for Abraham to care for his father? 
good thing for us to care for those who we love. And yes, but the problem is in this specific case, God told him to go. In this specific case, he was resistant because he had this family attachment. So what does that look like for us today? I, I, um, many of you know, before coming to Indiana, I was in Minnesota, and we were in Sauk Center, Minnesota, where it was predominantly Roman Catholic. In fact, it was like 80% Roman Catholic. Now, um, just to kind of clear the air a little bit, uh, the Catholic Church teaches officially that in order to get to heaven, you have to uh, do seven sacraments. You have to do the Holy Rites. You got to take Holy Communion. You got to do all these things, the Mass, all these things, confession, and, and all these things will get your cup more full of grace. If you do more of these things and, and your cup is more full than empty when you die, then you get to go to purgatory and wait out the rest of it and then get to heaven. That's what the Catholic Church teaches. Now, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches not that we earn grace. We don't earn grace. For God so... Uh, why is that verse escaping my mind right now. Yeah, the um, Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. There it is. Thank you for praying for me. Not by works of righteousness, we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's God's mercy. It's not our works. It's not our works. So no man will boast. So it's faith and faith alone. And we'd go around and we'd teach that. We'd teach that to people. We'd teach that to the kids who are coming in for VBS. And we'd teach them that. And then they'd go home and they'd share what they learned. And their parents would say, you're not going back there. And, and, and they would keep them. And some people would argue with us and they would say, well, you mean to tell me my grandma's in hell? <laughs> and we'd say, listen, I don't, I don't know what your grandma believed. I don't know where she's at and all these things. But I can tell you this. If she is even, she would want you to believe this, that Jesus died for your sin and rose again in faith in him, and faith alone saves you. But their family detachment was keeping them from believing. So sometimes it keeps us from our salvation. Does it sometimes family attachment? Could it keep you from your sanctification? Can sometimes family attachment keep us from doing what we know God would have us to do because... We're putting family above God. I mean, family is great. And a church that loves the Lord and loves his word will teach the importance of having a godly biblical family. So yes, family, but never family over God. And there are some families who will attend a church that has a really exciting children's program. You know, they got the slide that goes down into the children's program. They got all that. And yeah, the preaching is kind of weak and the doctrine is kind of weak, but boy, my kids love their kids program. Well, I think that that's a little backwards. <laughs> and we're probably never going to do a slide into our children's ministry. We're thinking about the idea of doing a cannon, maybe, to shoot them. That's an idea that's for chasing. And I said it's fine as long as I get to be the one that lights the cannon. But uh, we love kids, and we want our kids to love Jesus. That's what we want. But we also love the preaching of the word here. And, and we don't want parents to choose children's ministry over good pulpit, pulpit ministry. There are places where families who will hold off on reaching out, they're so scared of what their kids might get exposed to. 
or they're just so busy with all the things. And boy, it's really tough to be a parent today. So many things kids can be involved in, basketball and softball and full contact basket weaving and all these things that kids can be involved in. And you're running around so busy, it's just so hard to keep. And then, then all of that comes before. And then and church and the things of God get, get kind of pushed down. And I know there's a balance. I mean, come on, I've been trying to seek for most of my pastoral ministry to find a good balance. And I've been out of balance for a lot of time. But, but can we overbalance? We just got to be careful about having those things in the right place. And I would say yes to family, but never, never family over God. In fact, Jesus himself said this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Yes, family, but family, never family over God. So some application questions, some things to think through. In what ways have you been tempted to put family above God? And you're trying to balance that out. Is there maybe a little overbalance at times? Man's resistance to God here was due to a family attachment. But I want to show you this. I want to show you God's response. Take a look at God's response. Verse number four of this text reveals it. God's response in verse number four. Then he went out from the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and his father died... Here it is. Here's the grace. God removed him from there into the land which you are now living. God removed him. That's, that's God saying, I'm not okay with you being disobedient, Abraham. I'm not okay with that. And I'm so not okay. I'm going to remove you. And even if it means some painful ways, I'm going to push you off to the land that I told you to go. And that's grace. This is God's incredible grace. Painful grace, and sometimes grace is painful. Here's a quote from, um, actually it's a Greek playwright, Aurelius. And Aurelius said this, He who learns must suffer, and even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in her own despair against her own will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Sometimes, isn't it true for your life? I and mean, think about the times where you've grown the most. Hasn't that growth come probably in very painful times? But it's, but it's a grace still. And God didn't give up on Abraham. God didn't walk away from Abraham. God loved him and got involved and moved him on. And this is God's grace. And he is exceedingly gracious. We just say, we say God is exceedingly gracious. Say it with me. God is exceedingly gracious. Until he's not. Let's keep moving in our text. So we have now uh, that story. Let's take a look at the next story. And, and this picks up in verse number nine. So let your eyes fall on, on number nine. This is the patriarchs. This is the brothers of Joseph. And you see this. The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. I'm going to stop even right there. So, okay, so you know the story, right? So here's Joseph, and he had this awesome coat of many colors, and he looked a lot like Donny Osmond. And uh, anyone know the play? Am I all alone up here? A few of you do. For those who do, Darren McCown, you are right with me. Anybody. But those, uh, but but here's Joseph, and he is um, he had these dreams. God's given Joseph dreams. Who gave Joseph dreams? God gave Joseph dreams, prophetic dreams from God. And his brothers, because of the dreams, had them bowing down to Joseph. And he was the younger brother, and they were the older brothers. Because of all of that, they rejected 
God's message. That's Stephen's point. The patriarchs rejected the clear dreams given by God to Joseph. And why did they reject it? Why did they resist God? Well, the text is clear. And the patriarchs here are just jealous of Joseph. Boy, jealousy. Jealousy can really bring about in our own hearts resistance. And God's word is clear about that, and you see it in several places. I want you to see it this morning in Psalm 73. Take your Bible and go to Psalm 73. I love the, God's word because the word of God is so very real. And it paints life to how life actually really is. And so look at this with me in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is a psalm written by Asaph. And Asaph gets real about some things here. And I want you to see him with me. Here is verse number 73. Sorry, verse number 1 of Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I mean, the wicked, they got it. They got the riches. Look at what it says. Verse number four. For they have no pains until death. In other words, they don't feel pain until they die. Their bodies are fat and sleek, because back then it was awesome to be fat. Oh, for those days, can I get a witness? They, uh, verse number five, they are not in trouble as others are. Then they're, uh, they're not stricken like the rest of mankind. It goes on to talk about them. Uh, then you get to verse uh, number um, 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Asaph's like, man, they, they got it all. And they don't even love God. They hate God. But they got all the ease of life, all the riches. And there's me. Like, I'm getting up every morning. I'm struggling just to walk with God, to do the things I'm supposed to do. And, and, and then trials come my way. And difficulties come to me. And tell me you haven't felt that way. Tell me you haven't been perusing Facebook and saying, Man, this guy's got it, and I don't got it. We were driving somewhere this week, Courtney and I were, and she was driving. It's just better that way. Are you guys with me? It's just better that way to have her drive. A, we're much, much safer with her driving, and we just get along a lot better when she's driving. Just, just, and all God's people said. So uh, we were driving. She was driving. I was in the passenger seat, and I was looking through Facebook, and I just said to Courtney, I don't, I'm not sure I like Facebook all that much. Like, I just, like, our church is doing great. Our church is doing great. But there are other churches that seem to be doing better. Other pastors that, oh, they baptized how many people this week? Man. Ooh, look at that building. They got a nice building. Jerks. <laughs> That's just not, the Bible says we compare ourselves to one another. We're not wise. And so she said, just take it off your phone. And I said, you know what? That's a genius idea. You're not just smart, you're gorgeous too. Anyway, I took that app then off my phone because I just don't need that struggle. I don't need that struggle. And that jealousy is there. And can, can jealousy, as we look and compare, can that lead us to resisting God? Oh, really? You're good? Then why are they so much? And what do I have? And where's my? And not good. Man's resistance due to their jealousy 
But would you look at me and see God's response to them? This is, this is so crazy. Look at how verse 9 ends. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But here it is. But God was with him. <laughs> Love it. In fact, get to verse number 11. Check this out. This is crazy. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could not find food or could find no food. So they were starving. Okay, who? The fathers, the guys who sold Joseph into slavery. That's who. These guys. Well, they don't deserve food. Of course they don't have any food. Well, keep reading. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. Now, the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. Man, they went down to Egypt, and they found food. And even though they were horribly sinful, and yet God is exceedingly gracious, even though they were horrifically sinful, yet our God was exceedingly gracious. Would you say that with me? Our God is exceedingly gracious. He is. Until he's not. But some questions to think through, if you would, for a moment, just to help apply these things. Are you looking around at others wondering why God isn't blessing you as much as he is them? Has that been a struggle for you? As you peruse your social media, do you fall into the pit of comparison? And how does that make you feel about your God? Gotta guard our hearts because... Jealousy can lead to resistance and no more resistance of God. No more resistance. Here's another one. Let's talk about doubt. Let's talk about doubt as we check out this next story. This next story is really, really interesting. I want you to look at verse number 23. This is, this is crazy how Stephen paints this event. So take a look at uh, Acts 7.23 where it says this. When he was 40 years old, now talking about Moses, what happens is he talks about the people being in Egypt, dwelling there. Talks about how God then brought Moses out. Remember, one of the accusations is that Stephen is against Moses, begins talking about Moses. Here's what it says in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, Moses' heart, to visit his brothers and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended him the oppressed man, and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He, now, now remember, when, when we teach this, we always kind of teach that like Moses is wrong by doing this. And it's murder, so you can't really say he was right by doing it. Uh, that maybe we'll say he got ahead of God a little bit, and, and maybe that's, that's true. But what's interesting is how Stephen paints it. Take a look at verse number uh, 25. It reveals his heart. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, and they did not understand. So, so he came to be their deliverer. And look at, at their response, verse number 26. So on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, are you your brothers? Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside and said, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And then, of course, we know that Moses fled at that point. So Moses comes, and it's hardest to be their deliverer, but they reject him as deliverer. Now, now here's what's interesting. Look at verse 35. Again, Stephen's continuing to preach. This is Luke's record of Stephen's sermon, and what he says is really interesting in verse 35. And then Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer. 
So the point that Stephen was trying to make in his sermon was, here's another rejection of God's deliverance. And these men rejected Moses. Why? Because of doubt. Are you really God's man? Are you really God's man? Because all throughout the rest of this text, you will see over and over again, this man, this Moses, this man, this Moses, making the emphasis that this was God's man, but they doubted it. Doubt. Church, doubt and resistance go hand in hand. Doubt and resistance go hand in hand. In fact, I'm going to just say it to you this clearly. Probably one of the main reasons why we resist God is because we doubt God. And do you know this is the main scheme of the enemy? Just go back to the Garden of Eden and go back to Eve. And what did the serpent, Satan, say to Eve? Has God really said, you will not surely die? God knows the day you eat of the fruit that your eyes will be open and you'll know good from evil and you'll be like him. You can be like God. And, and, and she doubted. And that doubt led to resistance. And one of the main reasons why we resist God is because we doubt God. And this is the track of the enemy today. And my heart is burdened, especially by like teens and young adults right now. Because you're hearing a message from the world and it sounds so good. But is it? I want to talk about Trevor. Uh, Scott's to blame for these pictures. I told Scott, just go grab some stock photos. And this is what he chose. So I guess the guy on the right is Trevor. Is that right? Uh, Trevor has a, um, he's a young adult just getting out of high school, man. And he has been, he's heard all the things. He grew up in the church. He's been to church every day of his life, it feels like. Every Sunday, it feels like. And he's, he knows all the, all the Bible stories, all of that. But what he hears around him constantly, what he hears around him constantly is love is love. And he hears all the, the message of the world around him, and it sounds so good. And he hears the things in his school about evolution, how uh, it, it's science, and it's science, and it's so obvious, and those creationists are so dumb. And, and Scott's hearing all of the, the Trevor's hearing all of this. Scott, you too, but you did a good job resisting it. But Trevor's hearing all of this, and he's like, oh, is that, and it begins to, in his heart, he begins to, he begins to doubt and you know the statistic, right? Like 60% of the kids who grow up in the church leave the church and never come back again. And I worry about our teens and I worry about our young adults and what you're hearing and the doubt that can creep in because that doubt will make you resist. I want to talk about Sarah a little bit and, and Sarah is a gal who did grow up in the church too and she's, she was the one that like, like in Sunday school, she had all the answers. She was always the one with her hand up the first, and, and she had all the scriptures memorized, and she did all the things. She checked all the boxes. She did them all. And now she's in church, and she's in her you know, mid-30s, and she's looking at her life, and it just hasn't gone the way that th- she thought that it should go. And there's been a whole lot more difficulty in this life than than she anticipated, and her dreams of what she had to happen never came to fruition and she was like, God, I did all the right things. 
I did all the things you asked me to, but you didn't give me the life that I thought you promised me. And she's sitting there with an incredible amount of doubt. I'm telling you, I have ran into multiple Sarahs in my ministry. You've done all the right things, checked all the boxes. And they've been in churches where it's kind of been preached that way. Just, just obey God and things will, life will go great. I mean, there's some truth to that, right? Some truth to the way the transgressor is hard and God has rules for a reason. All that's true. There's no guarantee that life's going to go the way you want it to. <laughs> and so doubt creeps in. And doubt and resistance go hand in hand. So let me help you with doubt. I'm going to give you two keys to overcoming doubt. Uh, two keys to overcoming doubt. Here's one, just humility. Humility. Humble yourself. And, and, and maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. And maybe God has a plan greater than your plan. And maybe the stance you need to take right now is a stance of just humility. God, it's not, I don't know, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to believe that you know. Because that's, that's number two. The second key is faith. Faith. Trust. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Faith is not simply a feeling. Faith is a choice. Let me give you an example. Stand up. Go on, very large. Stand up. And stay standing up, McCallum. Come on. Stand up. And, uh, okay, now I want you to sit back down. Okay, you just exercise faith in that chair you're sitting in. Did I have to prove with documentation that that chair can hold up your 120? You're welcome. Pounds. (laughs) Prove to me that chair is rated for at least 300 pounds before I sit down and I don't have to prove that to you. You just simply believed, and you made a choice to sit. And we just need to choose to believe. There's a choice. And you know this much, and God's word has said, and he knows so much more. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to choose God by faith. They doubted. That was man's resistance. They doubted. Can I show you God's response to this? Take a look at verse number 33 in the text. Verse number 33 says this. Verse 33 says, Then the Lord said to him, this is now God talking to Moses, and the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now I will send you to Egypt. God still delivers. They doubted God still delivers. Church, that is grace. That is God's incredible grace. And our God is exceedingly gracious. Come on, say it with me again. Our God is exceedingly gracious. Until he's not. That's some questions to think through. When, uh, where do I still doubt God? I mean, come on, where do I still doubt God? What events in my life stir up doubt? Because chances are, if I were to sit down in a conversation with you and talk to you about your doubt, you would probably point to some event or some thing in your life where it, it happened and you can't quite understand how and why and where was God and that difficulty was there. So identify those events and then ask this question, do I truly know all that God knows about that event? <laughs> do I know what God knows? I don't, 
think I do. Not even close. And will I just simply choose to trust him again? There's some reasons for our resistance. Family attachment can be a reason. Jealousy can be a reason. Doubt can be a reason. And let's see one more. Thank you for just being so good at following along. Here's, here's the last reason for doubt. And let's look at verse number 38. Verse number 38. Talking about Moses now. Continue talking about Moses. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him about Mount Sinai. So now we're at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received the living oracles to give to us. Okay, so here's Moses. He's going to get some living oracles, some rules, some regulations from God. God's going to tell us what he wants. And look at the resistance of the people. Verse number 39. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Look at verse 41. And they made uh, a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol. Now watch carefully. And were rejoicing in the work of their hands. We don't want this God of Moses who is right now giving Moses rules and regulations. We don't want a God who is worshipped through loving obedience. We want our own God, the God that we make with our hands. And if you go back to the original story, the text says that they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And most Bible scholars believe that's talking about sexual immorality. We want a God who's worshipped with that. Eating, drinking, unhindered sexual pleasure. That's our God. And because of their desire for pleasure, they resisted God. (sighs) Challenging because I tell you, it is hard to be in our day and age and because we love to be entertained. I mean, right? Are you with me on this? We love to be entertained. And as soon as you say, no, I don't, well, how many streaming services do you have? There's an altar afterwards. You can come and lay your Netflix subscription right down on the altar if you need to. But uh, I'm sure, like, I guess we got several in our home. I'm not against those things and against enjoying ourselves. And, and, uh, but I'll hear of a new show coming out, and I'll be like, oh, it's sci-fi, so therefore it's good. So I'll check it out then, and I'll go to either Plugged In Online or I'll go to uh, Common Sense Media. It's not a Christian site, but it's a site that tells you everything that's in these shows in just about every single one of the new ones coming out. Nudity, nudity. Mature sexual content, as if that's mature. And God's Word says to flee sexual immorality. And we shouldn't be running to that for our pleasure and entertainment. And I don't want any part of that. By the way, not because I'm super righteous, but because I'm super not righteous. You tracking with me? I don't want that temptation in front of my eyes. I know my own heart, and I want to guard it. We've got to be very, very careful about the pleasure that we seek and how many people are rejecting God in our world because they believe 
you know what the Bible says? That at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> Jesus said in John chapter 15 that abiding in him, abide in me and I, and I in you, as a branch abides in the vine and tells this beautiful story. And then in verse number 11, he says, these things I say unto you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. You want the greatest pleasure? It's living with Jesus. <laughs> is living in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where real pleasure is found. But doubting that, they reject God. And look at what happens in verse number 42. But God turned away. By the way, Adam, you can come on up now. But, but God turned away and gave them over to the worship, the hosts of heavens, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years of the wilderness of the house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephon, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you beyond, I send you exile beyond Babylon. I mean, verse 42 is scary. But God turned away. Why did Stephen say that? Why did he say that to the high priest and those who were around him? Because God is exceedingly gracious until he's not. God's exceedingly long-suffering. But there's still a clock ticking and a decision needs to be made. He's exceedingly kind, but he's also exceedingly just. And he will wait, and he will wait, and he will be gracious, and he will be kind, and he will wait, and he will wait until he doesn't anymore. And you never want this to happen to you. Verse 42, God gave them over to the worship of their idols. You do not want that to happen to you. I mean, God gives us rules and regulations for a reason. God said don't commit adultery because adultery wrecks families. God said don't get drunk because drunkenness makes you do stupid things. God has his rules for your protection, and to give you over to that is to give you over to your own destruction. So what do we do? Well, we just stop resisting him. And the opposite of resisting, God is running to God, running to him, believing again, trusting again. Now, I'll say to you that um, all of us have times of doubt. All of us struggle with doubt from time to time. All of us are tempted by pleasure. All of us are tempted by jealousy. All of us are tempted by all these things. And so my goal today is not to beat you down and make you feel guilty because you struggle with these things. Come on, we all do. My point is that if you're here right now and you're hearing what I'm telling you, you're in this room, you're hearing the message, then it is not too late. <laughs> and you can't even right now run back to your God. So here's what I want you to do. Just take a moment, if you would. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want you just to pray. 
and I don't know what it is in your life. Right? I obviously don't. I, um, but I have to believe that in the course of a weekend here at Redemption, there are people who walk in this room and there is some resistance in their life at some level. And maybe that level is, you know how to walk the walk, man. You know how to talk the talk. You can come in here and you've been in church all your life. So everyone around you believes that you believe, but really you don't believe and you know you don't believe and you've resisted. And I'm telling you, man, your God is exceedingly gracious until he's not. And now is the time to run back to him. And all you need to do in this moment is to stop and to pray and to say, God, please forgive me for resisting you. Please forgive me for my doubt. I'm going to choose to trust that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. I want to believe that he rose again. And I want to just trust you anew as my Savior. Maybe you've had that doubt. Because the book of Hebrews is clear, man. You can be in church and not really be a believer. Now is the time. Now is the time. So maybe now is the time you didn't pray that prayer and finally surrender to God. And some of you need to just to pray. You know you believe, but you know there's just some resistance because maybe if I fully give in to God, then I'm going to have to give up this thing that I really enjoy. Or maybe it's, God, I don't what will happen with my kids if I begin to reach out and open my home up? What will happen to my kids? And there's fear and I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit fall on you in this, this moment to put that burden on your heart. But whatever it is, we just take a moment and pray and just give it to him. So just pray right now. So, Father, we just do lift these things to you, and we trust you, and, um, and yet we don't trust you like we should. We love you, but we don't love you always like we should. And, Father, if we're all honest, we all have times of resistance to you. I'm ashamed of the times when I've resisted you, and I have. But, God, you are so gracious. So gracious, and so loving, and so kind. And Father, would you help my unbelief? Would you help me to know your love deeper so that I would know and believe deep in my heart that the best thing for me to always do is to fully trust you and fully obey you and never resist you. I keep growing that in all of us. Let us spread this glorious, gracious gospel out to this city, this world, for your glory. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Redemption, you are loved. Thank you for coming.